can be found on the inside of the bulletin. This is Luke 17, 20, 20 uh, through 27. Luke 17, 20 through 27. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Excuse me. With the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. The word of the Lord. Well, if I was to ask you what the main message of Jesus was, or to take a card and write down uh, the top three messages that Jesus gave, I wonder what it is that you would put on that card. Many of the people uh, uh, might write something like this, that God says to uh, be nice or to be good. It was as I was thinking of this message that I thought that the message of Jesus Christ that most people think is very similar to the message of E.T., if you remember E.T. at the end, his great, you know, communication is to be good. But I want to suggest to you that Jesus' gospel is much more than that. Certainly loving God and loving your neighbor is part of that, but Jesus seemed to place a focus on this term. The kingdom of God is at hand. There's an almost sense of immediacy to it, right? Jesus comes and proclaims the kingdom of God is at hand and an urgency, repent and believe the good news for the kingdom of God is here. The truth of the matter is we don't think much about the kingdom of God. What exactly does it mean? What does it mean for us today? But the reality is, if we don't understand what Jesus is talking about, if we don't understand the truth that the kingdom of God has begun, then we're missing what Jesus is trying to say. Because if a kingdom has begun, if all authority, in fact, has been given to God, that there is a plan that is being carried out and executed. There is something that is going on that is directing the affairs of man, that is directing my life. And if we're not cognizant of this kingdom, 
then we can look at the life, life that we live and the life that is around us and see a puzzle and a mystery and be tempted to sort of throw up our hands in disgust and just forget the whole thing. Well, that's what we're going to speak about today in the next five hours that we have together. We have to examine the questions of what is this kingdom of God? We have to be able to live this earthly life with heavenly eyes and we can only do that when we understand what it means that the kingdom of God has come. Well, let's look at the first group of people that are trying to understand what is this kingdom of God. The Pharisees, the religious teachers. Notice in verse 20 in the beginning, being asked by the Pharisees where the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. See, the Pharisees are trying to figure out when this kingdom of God is to come. It's not hard to understand why. We understand that Israel was under control of the Roman Empire, a kingdom in which they were not in charge. Rather, they, the head of the kingdom was Caesar, who was in Rome. And so what the king said would happen. As the king, so the kingdom. And so they're experiencing the repression, the persecution of everything that comes from being under the kingdom of the Romans. But the Bible is filled from beginning to end with stories of a king that will come, a new kingdom, a Messiah in the likes of David who will come. And they thought conquer their physical enemies, give them peace and rest, shalom. And so they inquire to Jesus, when is this kingdom coming? But Jesus' response is cryptic, isn't it? It's not coming in ways that can be observed. Jesus is saying that this kingdom is coming and it's a bit of an invisible kingdom. You can't see it simply looking at it. In fact, the way Jesus speaks about the kingdom, it's subversive in its nature. Right? The kingdom of heaven is like a little bit of yeast that a woman put in the dough and kneaded the dough until this yeast spread throughout the entire portion of dough. Or it's like a seed that was planted and no one really saw what was going on and all of a sudden this plant came from nowhere. There's a subversiveness to it. And so Jesus is saying it's not coming in ways that you can observe. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Notice I even made the mistake. The NIV, unfortunately, makes the poor translation is within you. But the Greek is pretty clear here that it's not within you, but rather it's in the midst of you. It would be almost if we were sitting here, the kingdom of God would be here in our midst. And yet, it would be hard to see. But it shouldn't be for the Pharisees, should it? Because Jesus has been demonstrating the kingdom of God since he arrived on the scene. Remember Jesus in the Sea of Galilee? Huge storm on the river, on the lake, waters. The fishermen are even so scared they say they're going to drown. And Jesus raises his hand and he says, Hush, be still, and manifest the kingdom of God. Jesus has been healing the sick, giving sight to the blind. Indeed, in the passage right before, Jesus healed ten lepers. He's been demonstrating the kingdom of God. And yet the Pharisees can't see it. They ask the question. And Jesus is saying to them, in effect, don't you see it's 
right here in the midst of you. Remember Nicodemus who comes at night and says, we know that you're from God. We know that you're a teacher. There's no way that you could teach these things. And yet Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God until he's been born again. Nicodemus is flummoxed. He doesn't understand. Are you saying that a person must be born again? Like they surely can't go back into their mother's womb. What a ridiculous response. And Jesus rebukes Nicodemus. You're Israel's teacher and you don't even understand this? Why don't the Pharisees understand that the kingdom of God is in their midst? It's because they refuse to recognize the king. See, Jesus is coming in a bit of a disguise, isn't he? He's not meeting their picture of what a king should be riding in on a horse with a giant sword. No, the king is coming as the lamb. And we know the second time that he comes, he'll come as the lion. But he's demonstrating to them, but they don't see. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees in John 5. You search the scriptures because you think that by them you have eternal life. But all of these scriptures, they're witnessing about me. But you refuse to come to me that you might have life. See, Jesus has come to inaugurate the kingdom of God. And will come again to consummate it. But we very clearly see that Jesus is on a mission. Indeed, even as he's speaking to the Pharisees, he's marching to Jerusalem where he will die on the cross for the sins of his people and they will demonstrate his authority over death itself by being resurrected and will speak these words to the disciples at the very end. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Well, let me fast forward to us. It's easy to sort of laugh at the Pharisees and their foolishness not being able to see the kingdom of God. But what about us? For much of us, life simply goes on and on and on. It's easy to make the same mistake as the Pharisees, isn't it? We don't see him. We see the fallenness of man. We see circumstances in which it seems that evil is winning. It seems sometimes that life is capricious, that good happens to bad and bad happens to good. And why isn't God's kingdom advancing here? Why are people who love Christ and being uh, proclaiming Christ dying here? And we simply look at the circumstances of the world and can easily conclude this is mere chance. We buy the philosophy of our schools that say there is no God. There is only this time. There is only now. There is only chance. And the result of this is we experience depression, bitterness, apathy to the things of God. And we take our focus off of God's kingdom and we conclude the best thing that I can do in this world is simply work on building my own. And so we focus a better house, a better job, a more comfortable life. We tone out the noise of this world and this generation. But Jesus is showing us that we do that to our own peril. 
that we're like fools, like ostriches burying our head in the sand because Christ has inaugurated his kingdom. And he says that on this testimony that I will give you the apostles, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so moment by moment, minute by minute, Christ's kingdom has been advancing invisibly, subversively, not in the corridors of power, but rather in the hearts of men, slowly taking ground. I love the words of Napoleon who speaks of his own giant kingdom and those of his contemporaries, Charlemagne and all of these others. How did we build our kingdom? We built it on force. But Jesus Christ speaks across the generations, across the centuries, and men and women hear his voice and respond. And he annexes their hearts to the empire of Christ. Jesus Christ built and is building an empire through love in the hearts of men. And right now millions would die for him. I don't know if you are like me, but you may be experiencing the frustration of your yard as the Bermuda grass continues to overtake it. I don't like Bermuda grass. I view it as a weed. So if you have Bermuda grass for your yard, I apologize. No, it's fescue that I long to roll in. It's fescue that I long to throw up in the air and enjoy. It's beautiful emerald greenness. But Bermuda grows not like fescue. No, it's these rhizomes, these dreaded rhizomes that are underneath the ground and the way they grow is underground. They spread their tendrils. And by the way, I don't know if you've ever tried to pull up one of those Bermuda grass strands. It's like pulling up iron. Might as well be pulling up rebar. No, it spreads underneath very quietly, very subversively. But then all of a sudden, you awaken one day and lo and behold, it's taken over your entire yard. This is the kingdom of God. It's growing and advancing. But you have to look with spiritual eyes. And so I ask you the question today. How do you see the world? Do you see it as a simple, I don't know, mistake, maze? Who can understand? Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. Or do you see the reality that Christ has come, that all over the world, His invisible hand is moving through His Holy Spirit as the gospel is moving in the hearts of men. As people even, through their death and through their pain, are manifesting the glory of God. Until we understand that God's kingdom has broken forth in this world, all that we will see is will puzzle us and give us heartbreak. We must recognize. We must look amidst the grass. We must expect that God is moving. That God is here. And we must trust that He's working in the very circumstances of our life. In sickness and in health. In goodness and badness. All authority has been given to Him. And so things cannot be as they are. 
Well, Jesus continues on after giving this response to the Pharisees. He speaks to the disciples in verse 22. And he said to the disciples, notice, new audience, the days are coming when you desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. What are these days of the Son of Man that he's talking about? He's talking more about simply Jesus existing. We know that Jesus is going to die and be raised and go away for a time. No, he's speaking of the days of the Son of Man means the days in which Christ is going to come back. See, he's warning the disciples after they've left the Pharisees of what's going to happen. There's going to be a time when you're going to long for this final conclusion, the end of the book, and you're not going to see it. See, on one hand, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he's saying already it has begun. And on the other hand, he's speaking to the disciples and saying, not yet, it hasn't finished. In verse 25, he says, but first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. There's a scheme of what has to happen. It starts with the cross and my going away. But Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come back. But understand, disciples, if the world hated me first, it's going to hate you. And they will say, and so you will also have to experience struggle and pain as you're called to testify for this kingdom that's coming. And along that time, church, they will say to you, look there or look here, verse 23, but do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one day to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. I don't know about you, but every five years it would seem I get a letter from somebody or some news report that someone has predicted that the end of the world is near. And the reason that it's near is this. And it starts listing out all the various things that happen. There will be accounts and times where people say it's happening. Some will say it's even already happened. But what does Jesus say? Don't go out. Don't follow. Don't lose your focus. Because in between the already and the not yet, when it gets to the not yet, you will know. Excuse me, when it gets to the end, you will know. Because it will be like lightning which flashes, flashes across the whole sky. When Jesus comes, everyone will see. Everyone will know. Jesus is warning those disciples and he's warning us. There will be a temptation to focus on that day when he comes back. I wonder, there will be a temptation to wonder if he's coming at all. But Jesus says no. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage all in that time of Noah until that day when Noah entered the ark. See, life was quite normal in the days of Noah. The human technology may have changed, but the human condition hasn't. They were doing the same things that everybody does, the things that we do today, living their life. And Noah was the crazy one, right? He's over there in the 
desert building this ginormous ark. Have you ever seen the size of the ark, by the way? Everyone's thinking this man is clearly crazy. Until that day. You know, if I'd taken a poll of the people the day before the day of Noah and asked them, what's tomorrow going to be like? I don't know, I've got this appointment that I've got to go ahead and take care of. Or I'm going to go to the marketplace and I'm going to do this. Or I'm getting married. They weren't thinking at all about what was to come. What about likewise, verse 28, in the days of Lot? They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. Remember that wicked place called Sodom? Well, it was business as usual in Sodom. They were doing the exact same thing as in the days of Noah. The exact same things in the days of us. In fact, they were planting. Nobody plants without the expectation of being around to harvest. Or builds without the expectation of being able to live in that which you have built. And yet on that day, on that day, they were all wiped out. So Jesus is saying to believers, don't lose focus. On one end, it'll be just like the world is going on, like it always goes on. It'll be easy for us to simply think that's the way life is. To lose the focus on what God is really doing. On the other end, it could be easy to have a bunker mentality, right? Forget this world. Forget what it has to offer. We're so focused on the coming of the kingdom, kind of like the disciples, that we forget that we're supposed to be the ones who are building it. Right? We insulate ourselves from the world. Noah was living his life, doing what God called him to do in the plain view of everyone. And Jesus has given us a commission in between the already and the not yet. Go and make disciples. Proclaim the gospel. Tell the message. Let your light shine before men that they may praise your good deeds, that may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. See, whether we recognize it or not, we're just like Noah. See, we know the truth. Jesus is going to flood the earth. And Noah, you are to build an ark. The only difference is this that we're not the ones building the ark, are we? Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said, I will provide a place of safety, a place of grace, a place of forgiveness and mercy where you can run to, where you can come to, where your entrance in it is not based on your ability, but rather on mine. Not based on you having enough money or talent or skill, but rather because of my graciousness. I am going to build a place of deliverance. And I want you to participate, believers in Christ, to gather my people. 
to bring them into my house because the day is to come like lightning it will flash across the sky and it will be the end and so Redeemer we have to be about our Father's business is there a sense of urgency to our lives that there is a day that is coming there is a finish line there is a time when the right kingdom will be consummated what is your mission statement in life we have it it's hidden we don't even know necessarily what it is but if you were to pull out this invisible card in your heart it's your mission statement it's what I'm all about it might be to live a good life be good as E.T. said it might be to make lots of money it might be to hole up build a bunker and wait for God's kingdom I don't know your life what that mission statement is but at the end of the day what lasts is simply this what I have done for him who I have chosen as my destiny as my hope as my treasure and so we must change our priorities we must live with a sense of urgency we must let go of the petty things that hold on to our hearts the king is already working in the world the king is coming and there is an inheritance kept up in heaven for us spotless that will never fade we must be a part of God's plan the goal of our lives is to know him and to make him known living with one eye on the earth and one on heaven waiting hoping longing hastening the coming of the kingdom notice verse 31 I finish with this thought we've talked about when it's coming we've talked about where it's coming I want to put a little more focus on how we are to live when it does come on that day Jesus says in verse 31 let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away and likewise one who is in the field not turn back remember Lot's wife remember the story of Lot when the angels come to Lot in his house and say I'm going to destroy this city today take your wife and your children and those in your household and walk and go away from the city but do not look back because I'm going to rain fire and sulfur down and so they go remember that story and they're walking away but what does Lot's wife do she turns and she looks back and she's turned to a pillar of salt see Lot's mentality in fact we see it in 2nd Peter 2 7 he was all in and if he rescued Lot greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the world 
For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. See, Lot was all in. But Lot's wife wasn't. I wonder what Lot's wife was thinking as she turned back. My home, it's gone. All the memories. All the friendships and relationships. If there was a sense of longing in some sense to go back to that world in which she lived. Jesus calls us to complete surrender. Jesus gives us the blessings of life and his goodness and friendships. We live in the best country in the world. Even the poorest in the country of the United States live better than 90% of the world. But are our bags packed in the sense of we live with open hands? Jesus says you can't serve two masters. So we must make our peace, my friends, with this world. Have you said goodbye already? In the sense of straining ahead for what God has for you. For whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Now when you hear that passage, you're tempted to think of an airline flying where the stewardess comes out and says, there's no pilot anymore. Or I don't know if you've seen the infamous bumper sticker, warning, in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned. But I want to suggest to you that based on this passage, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? One will be gone and the other will stay. Who is it that's taken away? It's not God's people. It's the wicked. So in the days of Noah, remember? Who was it that was swept away that day and was gone? Who remained? It was Noah and his family. Who was it that was swept away in terms of Sodom and who remained? It was Lot. See, my friends, we're not going to be whisked away to some sort of cloud where we can wear a nice white robe and play a harp. Jesus has said, I plan to renew the entire world, to make it the way it should be. This world is where we will be, and heaven will intersect earth. But there will be no more sadness and no more weakness, no more crying. The clock has started. The countdown has begun. See heaven on earth. Work to hasten its coming. Be ready. Let us live this earthly life with heavenly eyes. For if you glimpse hard enough, and if your heart longs deep enough, you will already experience the gravitational pull of the heavenly master who is calling us home calling us to himself, giving us a new taste, a new kingdom that we've never seen, 
or touched. Yet no is out there. And no we were made for. The time is now. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Let's pray. Jesus, are we so foolish that we don't see the reality of what is happening, of how you're moving? Lord, you are alive and work and working right now in this community, in our hearts. All we have to do is look in ourselves and see how you're moving in our lives. Lord, help us not to grow weary in well-doing. Help us to not look with the eyes of sight, but rather to look with the eyes of faith. Help us to lean and trust in your word. And give us a glimpse, Lord, just a taste of the world that is to come, of the fullness of your presence which is to be. Lord, and give us a longing to participate as we proclaim the glory of your resurrection and your gift of the cross in the way that we live, in the way that we love, in the way that we speak. And so hasten about the coming of the kingdom whenever it shall come. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. We pray in your name. Amen.